Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Welcome to the Caixin Syndicate Business Brief, brought to you by China. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Cynical Podcast. And I'm Ada Shen in Paris. First, a look at the week's news. China is confronting claims that its overseas investment is saddling developing countries with unsustainable levels of debt, as Beijing hosts a major gathering of African leaders to discuss development priorities for the next few years. Forty presidents and thousands of business leaders are meeting in the Chinese capital this week for the Forum on China-Africa Cooperation, which takes place every three years. A raft of new China-backed projects across the continent are likely to be announced. China's total commitments are expected to exceed the $60 billion that President Xi Jinping pledged in Johannesburg in 2015. Yet worries over high debt levels associated with Chinese-backed projects have been in the spotlight, particularly after Malaysia's new prime minister visited Beijing recently and canceled Chinese projects worth tens of billions of dollars over debt concerns. Controversy also came in December when China gained control of the Sri Lankan port of Hambantota on a 99-year lease as the government sought to negotiate spiraling debts to Chinese creditors. In April, IMF President Christine Lagarde cautioned that foreign partners should not consider Chinese-backed infrastructure projects a free lunch, and last month, a U.S. development official told Reuters that Chinese projects were leaving African countries saddled with unsustainable debt. Money Losing iQiyi, which operates a streaming service similar to Netflix, could receive a new lifeline thanks to a hit period drama that has engrossed audiences at home and abroad. China's top online video streamer has licensed the story of Yanxi Palace, Yanxi Gonglue, to more than 70 markets, the company said, one day after the saga of intrigue among imperial concubines attracted half a billion views in a single day, a new Chinese record for single-day online viewership. The 70-episode drama is set during the Qing Dynasty, which ruled China from 1644 to 1912. As competition in the streaming industry heats up, companies like iQiyi, Tencent Video, and Youku have ramped up efforts to develop original productions as they vie for the attention of the country's 800 million internet users. Zhu Xiaochuan, 
the long-serving governor of the People's Bank of China, will take a seat on the advisory council of China Investment Corp, China's sovereign wealth fund, sources told Caixin. The post will be the second public title Zhou has taken since his retirement after 15 years as governor of the central bank. In April, Zhou was named vice chairman of the Boao Forum for Asia, known as China's Davos. On the CIC Advisory Council, Zhou will replace 80-year-old Zeng Peiyan, a former vice premier of China. Zhou was the longest-serving governor of China's central bank. He advocated a more market-based economy and efforts to reform the country's financial system. During his tenure, Zhou led reforms to unpeg the Chinese yuan from the U.S. dollar to allow more market-oriented fluctuation of the exchange rate, to ease government control of interest rates, and to gradually liberalize the country's financial market to the outside world. Zhou's appointment to the CIC comes at a time when Chinese outbound investments are facing growing scrutiny from foreign governments, especially the U.S. Chinese liquor producers have another reason to toast their success after the industry posted record profits last year. According to the National Bureau of Statistics, the country's leading liquor makers saw profit for the first six months of this year surge 40% on average, with the industry's total profit hitting 10 billion U.S. dollars. Wuliang Yue posted a 43% gain, while top distiller Guizhou Maotai said its profit rose 40%. Profits doubled at Sichuan Swell Fund, now owned by British alcohol giant Diageo. The higher profits were partly attributed to price hikes. In the wake of higher costs of raw materials such as grains, Guizhou Maotai in January initiated its first price hike in five years. It lifted the factory gate price of one of its flagship bottles, and Wu Liangyue and others followed suit. The liquor industry has been hit hard since 2013, after Beijing launched an anti-graft campaign that sent fear throughout the sector. As China's most popular tipple, Baijiu is a popular gift and social lubricant for deal-making. Speaking of corporate profits, China's state-owned oil giants struck black gold in the first half of 2018 as an uptick in global oil and gas prices pushed upstream profits skyward. China's top oil producer, PetroChina, chalked up the greatest gains out of China's big three energy producers, with its profit more than doubling in the second quarter. Sinopec also performed strongly, with its profits jumping 125%. CNOOC, C-N-O-O-C, saw its best half-year net profit since 2015, but did not release quarterly results for comparison. All three energy companies saw modest increases in their production. However, this is set to increase further thanks to a renewed appetite for upstream energy sources that has been lacking in recent years, according to analysts. Sinopec said in April that it will boost its annual capacity of natural gas supplies. Sinuk recently said it will ramp up its investment in Nigeria's offshore oil and gas. All three companies are also heavily involved in the government's push to develop liquefied natural gas as part of an effort to reduce the country's reliance on highly polluting coal. Ford is canceling plans to export its focus model from China to the U.S. next year because of the 25% tariffs the Trump administration slapped on Chinese auto imports in July. The import tax would make it too expensive to ship the focus from China to the U.S., Ford said. The company decided it wasn't worth it for a vehicle that would sell fewer than 50,000 units a year. The move signals that President Trump's trade policies have started to affect major production decisions in the auto industry. 
Ford became the first big American car maker hit by the tariffs, but more is expected. With no signs of a resolution to the trade dispute, many auto executives will have to make decisions on where they will assemble cars and obtain parts. According to the U.S. Commerce Department, nearly half of the vehicles sold in the U.S. were imported last year. A large proportion of those vehicles could be subject to Trump's tariffs. The rapid development of artificial intelligence in China is expected to exacerbate structural unemployment, according to a new report. Over the last three years, automation has replaced the jobs of up to 40% of workers in several companies in China's export manufacturing provinces of Zhejiang, Jiangsu, and Guangdong, according to a report by the China Development Research Foundation, a government think tank. The report echoed previous downbeat assessments of AI's impact on job markets. The World Economic Forum estimated in 2016 that 7 million jobs could be eliminated by AI by 2020 in 15 major developed and emerging economies. That would only be partially offset by the creation of 2 million new jobs. Embattled telecom equipment maker ZTE said that it will return to profitability in the third quarter as it rebounds from a devastating conflict with Washington that resulted in massive recent losses. ZTE has been under the gun since April, after the U.S. Commerce Department determined the company violated a previous agreement, punishing it for selling American-made products to Iran in violation of U.S. sanctions. Washington initially cut off ZTE from all of its U.S. suppliers, a move the company called a threat to its existence. But in July, the authorities relented and reached a new deal, fining the company $1 billion U.S. billion and forcing it to completely overhaul its management. The case also spotlighted the high degree of dependence on imported technology still experienced by many of China's recently minted high-tech giants, and has led to calls in China for the country to more actively develop its own industries in core areas like software and microchips. Thanks, Ada. Let's turn now, as we do each week, to some of Caixin Global's reporters and editors for a close look at some of the big news from China for the week. First up is Caixin Global reporter Jingxuan Tang. And Jingxuan, I'm going to ask you to jump right in and tell us what this very interesting piece of news is. Well, the Chinese government has removed mentions to family planning from its draft civil code, which is currently being discussed by its parliament. Okay, that seems like it could be really significant. Um, What do you think this actually means? Well, this is the latest and strongest signal that China might end decades-old birth limits. So starting from the late 70s, every married couple was only allowed to have one child, with a bunch of exceptions for rural families and for families who had disabled first children, for instance. And recently, in 2016, they replaced this one-child policy with a two-child policy that allowed all couples to have two children Again, with a bunch of other exceptions. So what's the impetus for the government doing what they're apparently doing? Well, China's birth rate has fallen well below replacement rate, which means its population in the long term will shrink. That's going to cause many problems. There are going to be fewer taxpayers supporting more pensioners. 
it's also had the problem of an unusually high imbalance between female and male children because its restrictions on family sizes have caused people to selectively abort female fetuses or even kill female children or simply not register their daughters in hopes of being allowed to have a second child who's hopefully a son. Are there other signs from Beijing that restrictions on family sizes are going to be dropped? Uh, is it all just hints and suggestions, or are there more explicit statements that we can point to? It's very much hints. Many top intellectuals and legislators have called for the government to lift restrictions on family size altogether, but the official signals have been very subtle. For instance, in March, the Chinese Premier Li Keqiang didn't mention birth restrictions in his annual work report to the parliament. He did this for the third year in a row. And then in May, according to Bloomberg, the state council commissioned a study on the consequences of ending birth limits, although it never confirmed this officially. And then earlier this month, China's postal service unveiled new stamps for the next lunar year, which is the year of the pig, and it features a pig family with three piglets, which has caused people on Chinese social media to speculate that the government will implement a three-child policy next year, because in 2015, the year before the two-child policy was introduced, the government released a series of stamps showing a monkey family with two babies. So it bears the stamp of family planning authorities then, eh? Yes. A highly scientific theory, I'm sure you'd agree. Very. And and is this actually going to work? Uh, Could this actually defuse the demographic bomb that's set to go off? It may already be too late for China. Its two-child policy resulted in a tiny baby boom the year it was introduced, but then the birth rate fell the next year, so it doesn't really seem to have achieved its desired effect. Well, great. Thanks for talking to us. Thank you, Kaiser. Thank you, Jingxuan. And now over to Doug Young, Managing Editor of Caixin Global. Doug, our focus today is the major Chinese ride-sharing company, Didi Chuxing, which is in trouble again. Uh, Let's talk about the latest news first and then get into the backstory. So what happened this time? Sure. Uh, what's happened this week is, and it's been all over the headlines in China. The the talk of the airwaves, uh, not for good reasons, is is uh, basically uh, DD, one of their passengers for a service they have called Hitch, which is sort of their low end service. Uh, but the passenger was basically raped and killed by the driver. Uh, not not exactly what you you bargained for when you called up DD and tried to get a ride. Uh, and this all happened in the city of Wenzhou which is in Zhejiang province, sort of eastern China, pretty affluent city. But I think all that's beside the point. Uh, The point is that, you know, this woman wanted to get a ride and she got killed. This comes actually just two months after another similar case where a woman was raped and killed. It's causing, you know, as it should, a lot of outrage and, and probably a lot of insecurity, especially among female riders. You know, Didi says it screens its drivers does background checks. But the first one, the guy actually, I think, used his father's ID. But in this case, he actually, the the driver actually used his own ID and he didn't even have a a criminal record. Although it did come out a a day or two later that apparently this guy had at least one complaint against him that uh, I guess Didi hadn't gotten around to investigating. 
the companies invested by Uber, actually, because they fought a big war with Uber and, and ended up merging billions of dollars invested in them by, by the likes of Apple and SoftBank, you know, and now and then they're also looking at an IPO as early as next year. And, and this kind of negative publicity and, and serious security concerns aren't going to help anything. I've come across a lot of reporting referring to this horrific incident in Winjo um, that we've just talked about as the second incident of its kind. Uh, but when you were digging into this, you found that this wasn't really the case, right? Yeah, this was interesting. We actually put together uh, our own little chart of uh, crime incidents against uh, DD passengers. And I was quite shocked to find this long list of passengers who've been raped, at least 10, in all but I think the most recent case, they were all convicted. So it wasn't like, you know, these were baseless allegations. Uh, in most cases, they were convicted and sentenced to like anywhere from two to, I think, 12 years. So, you know, this is actually quite troubling. So this is really blowing up now, it feels like. Uh, and there are going to be repercussions or major changes. But was there some sweeping under the rug going on, some cover up? How was it that so much of this has been going on with so little coverage from the Chinese media? Or, or, or is it like you might have said that, you know, you've seen this with Uber, too, and it's just the way it is? You know, when Uber, when someone gets raped in an Uber car, it's like everywhere. You know, you can be in the smallest town, you know, the U.S. and these Western markets, I think, are a little more sophisticated. In China, they probably do get swept under the rug or they just get picked up by local media, but maybe national media, you know, national media aren't that free to report. But I think they also probably just don't even think twice about it. And I think this is something about Chinese internet companies. They get away with a lot more than a Western company would, which is part of the reason why they've grown so quickly. You know, a company in the U.S. that had, you know, two murders, certainly, against their 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 passengers within such a short period might be shut down or, or you know, probably be totally boycotted by all consumers and go out of business in China. You know, that just doesn't happen. Uh, you see companies like Alibaba, you know, do this massive trafficking and, and pirated goods. The government doesn't shut them down. You know, certainly people don't boycott them because they're the ones buying all these goods. You know, just, just companies in China, I think, get away with a lot more than Western companies, probably due to the lack of more sophisticated oversight and, and also lack of consumer sophistication. Okay, finally, Doug, obviously we don't have a clear picture yet, but what's likely to happen to Didi Chuxing and to its services and to the ride-sharing industry or, or to investors in the market uh, in, in general, whatever you feel like you can tackle? The immediate impact is going to be on Didi's bottom line. Apparently, this Hitch service, is they have three main services, and Hitch is one of the three. And from what I've read, it was the most profitable of the three, and they've shut that down indefinitely. Uh, it's unclear if it's ever going to reopen again. Apparently, there have been issues with it before. And then, you know, their reputation has certainly been dented a bit, uh, so that could hurt their overall business. And then we got this IPO, which people were saying could come as early as next year. But, you know, maybe that'll have to be put off uh, while they sort of get their house in order and, you know, wait until we see sort of where all the dust settles. Because uh, the regulators have all said Didi's got to improve and, and so forth. So probably we could see some delays in the IPO. We'll probably certainly see some hits to their revenues. And I doubt they're profitable yet. 
but maybe they'll be losing even more money than they would have been otherwise. Well, we'll definitely check back in with you on this one. Okay. Thanks, Kaiser. Thanks, Doug. And that's this week's show. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is powered by SupChina and is produced by Kaiser Guo and Tanner Brown with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Thanks, of course, to Ada Shen. Special thanks to Lee Sin of Caixin Global and to Spring and Autumn and Wu Fei for the music. Check out the latest podcast in the Seneca Network, New Voices on Women and China, as well as our flagship current affairs show, Seneca. And be sure to follow the news from China every day at SupChina. Sign up for our free email newsletter at subchina.com. Take care.